stories that need to be told. Second episode on all things comedy. R.I.P. Hugh Hefner. I'm walking around my apartment in honor of Hugh Hefner, half naked, stepping around, pretending I'm in my own mansion. I figure, you know what? Out of respect for Hef, I gotta tell this story of my first time going to the Midsummer Night Dream, greatest party ever to be thrown in Los Angeles history at the Playboy Mansion. It's a famous party. You've heard about it on TV. You've heard about it in film. You've read about it in the documents. Some of you out there like, whatever, it's debauchery, it's demeaning. Hell no. It's fucking fantastic. It is literally hundreds of the prettiest women you've ever seen in your life. And literally walking all around the mansion. I mean, it was the most bananas shit I'd ever seen. So I'm from Detroit. All I've done is heard about the mansion. I'm not ever invited to the mansion. I'm not famous. I'm basically just still doing like open mic slash maybe about to open for Joe Rogan type of shit in my career. So I'm not getting invited to the Playboy Mansion. But I got one in. I got some famous friends because I'm in a basketball league and on my team is Leonardo DiCaprio, Kevin Connolly, Nick Cassavetes, Toby Maguire. My team is laced with talent, not basketball talent, acting talent, musical talent, directing talent, writing talent, all sorts of talent, every kind of talent except basketball. So my team We're doing okay. We're getting in the Entertainment League playoffs. They wanted me on the team because Chuck, one of my boys, saw me at the comedy store. We became friends. And he just was one day was like, yo, we need a fifth player. I came on the team. This is 15, 16, 17 years ago maybe. I can't. I'm not good with years. All I know is the Midsummer Night Dream Party's coming and I'm not invited. But... My boys tell me there's a chance, and it's the toughest list you can ever get on. Hugh Hefner's Midsummer Night Dream Playboy Mansion Party was the impossible list. So impossible that the storyline, and you can check this if you want, the storyline for Entourage's episode where Johnny Drama got thrown out, or Polly Shore got thrown out of the mansion, and Drama had to sneak into the mansion, was inspired by one of my attempts to sneak in the mansion and another attempt to go to the mansion and I got dogged out last minute and couldn't go. So those are the two things that happened to me before I ever got to go to the mansion. One year, I thought I was going to the mansion. Doug Ellen and David Schwimmer was a friend of mine. Schwimmer's like, yo, I got a plus one. Doug's already in. I'm going to go with them. I got dressed. I was fully laced up in my best pajamas, $4.99 pajamas. I'm pacing around, slow sipping tequila, just knowing that I'm about to have the time of my life at the mansion. Everybody is on call. Called all my boys in Detroit, told them, boom, I'll let you know what happens. I'm going to the mansion right before I'm supposed to get picked up. Schwimmer calls. Bro, I had to give your ticket away. It fucked up our relationship for a long time, me and Schwimmer. I had a hard time being friends with him after that. We patched things up since then, and he's a friend. But that fucked my head up real bad. So the whole time, I'm just plotting on like ways to sneak in. I drove around the mansion a few times. Security was real tight. I crept up on the back fence. 
the whole thing. I spent 45 minutes in Detroit mode of just how the fuck am I going to sneak in this place as a grown man? You know what I mean? It's it's one thing when you're a kid, but as a grown man sneaking in, it's a different animal because you're right there. You're at the there's a bunch of trees. There's a there's a dangerous uh, fence. The whole thing, but I could see some holes in the fence where other, where previous thieves like myself were ready to sneak in, and I just, I didn't get in. I didn't get in. I fucking went to Jerry's Deli, ate a bowl of chicken noodle soup, and half cried my way to bed. So I didn't get in the mansion that time. But now, cut to a year or two later, and we're up at Leo's house. And I'm half begging everybody, fellas, do you think I can go to the mansion? I just want to see this thing. As a kid, my dad had Playboy magazines hidden up. In, you know, He had Playboy hidden in his closet. I looked at him every single day when he left for work. I mean, Playboy played a part in all of our lives, but now I could touch it. It was close. The mansion was here. So we're up at Leo's house, and we're swimming after basketball, and we're hanging around, and Toby's in the pool, and Leo's in the pool, and my boy Vinny LaResca from that show. What's that Jennifer Lopez show? Something blue, out of the blue, into the blue, dark blue, cops blue, black and blue. She's got some TV show with blue in it. I forgot what the name is. Everyone's there, but no one's really for sure saying if I can go. And they're, they're fucking with me. I can feel it. And I don't want to be too, you know, I don't want to be too aggressive and I don't want to be too needy. But, you know, when the, when the testosterone's running and the hormones are kicking and you think you might go to the Playboy Mansion midsummer night dream party and it's right there, you're, you're talking about it. And we're floating around and there's tickets and everyone's who's got the last ticket and is there one ticket left? And long story short, I got a ticket. And this shit, and I'm not kidding. When you got in back in the day, now, you know, later in the years, the shit got easy. You know what I mean? It got corporate. They needed money. It was like buy a ticket to a party. But this was the exclusive shit when you couldn't get in. And when you got in, when you knew you had a ticket, you felt like you were in Willy Wonka's golden ticket shit. You know what I mean? I got the golden ticket. I went home. I fucking cut my own hair. I went home, fucking got ready. I pajamaed up, midsummer night dream, boom, back to Leo's house. We're all dancing around to some old school hip hop music. We had Tribe Called Quest on. We're just fucking giddy, you know, because let's be real. When you talk about dreaming of going to Hollywood and making it in Hollywood, you're not dreaming about fucking sitting at a desk and typing words, okay? That's just what you do as a writer, you know what I mean? As a director. You're, you're not dreaming about the words you write. You're fucking dreaming about the perks of what the hard work brings. So the mansion, that was a dream to me. I'm straight out of fucking Southfield, Michigan. You know what I mean? Eight and a half mile, nine, 10, 11, 12 mile. We don't go to Playboy mansions, okay? We didn't have playmates in my high school. Nobody was in Playboy that I know of. There was a couple girls in the neighborhood that could have been in Playboy. Shout out to Randy Kramer on the backside. Shout out to Stephanie Sohegan, strong body. Shout out to Stephanie Mitroff, amazing body. You know what I mean? Cheerleaders, pom-pom girls, burnouts, whatever the fuck it was. They could have made Playboy, but they didn't. Nobody thought about it. So, boom, cut to 
up at Leo's house. Everybody all young. Is young going? Is Can we get young the ticket? I'm the last fucking guy on the list. You know what I mean? They're all famous. Everyone's doing great. Leo's fresh off a boat scream, screaming king of the world. About to sign for fucking $20 million. Connolly thinks he's going to quit acting, but he just got Entourage, so he's famous and rich. You know what I mean? Toby's pre-Spider-Man on a fucking full-blown diet. You know what I mean? Cleansing. I never saw anybody lose weight faster and get in shape quicker. Complaining about his back. You know what I mean? Vinny's up there. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He and I are actually writing a TV show together at the time. Anyway, cut to I got the ticket. We're going down. We're going down. We're going to take three cars because there's like 11 of us. Fucking 11 dudes. Fucking straight wolves. 11 dudes rowing to the Playboy Mansion. And usually when you go to the mansion, you got to have a shuttle. There's a shuttle. You meet it at a thing downstairs somewhere in a parking lot near UCLA and they shuttle you up and you go through this whole process. Nah, 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 uh-uh. We don't do that shit. My boys didn't, didn't wait. We didn't shuttle. Leo doesn't get on a shuttle. So we go and we go straight up to the mansion valet. We're, we pull up right to the fucking thing and I'm, I'm trying to hide my happiness. I'm trying to hide my giddy shit. Because you can already see they got girls at valet. Like, it's just peppered with stunningness, beauty, you know? Just just pepper. The, the whole thing looks good. The house is lit up. You know what I mean? You can just feel the energy. So we get up there, and we are fucking happy. And we get, st- uh, we get wristbands, whatever. We get out of the car. Boom. We roll through the actual house to go to the backyard where the backyard, you know, you can hold, you know, 2,000 people. It's a giant backyard. So we walk through, and we walk through where the, the little pathway is, and we pass through where the sauna and the game room are, and we come out to the backyard, and we look over the expanse of the backyard, and it is fucking 500 of the most beautiful women you've ever seen in your life in lingerie. Do you know what this does to a young, straight man? Do you know what this does? It fucks your head up. It fucks your head up. 500 of the most beautiful women. You don't know what to do. So I just fucking tap my boy. I think it was Lucas. Lucas Haas. I tap Lucas. I go, yo, we got to go over here. We, you, I got to just relax by the bar for a second. We, we can't get in this mix right now. We just got to go take it all in. Just stand in one place. You got to let the energy just, just, just get, you know, stay with you. Otherwise, I'm going to lose it all quickly. You know what I mean? Because you start talking. I needed to prep. I had a phone ready and charged just to collect phone numbers for the summer that was coming. It's a whole method to the madness of the mansion party. So we relax by the bar. We get our drinks. There's food everywhere. You know, stunning playmates and bunny ears are walking around handing out food. But I don't eat. I don't eat. Motherfucker, I don't eat at the mansion. I keep it light at the mansion. I don't go for the chicken tenders. I saw the coconut shrimp. I saw the barbecue beef skewers. All the shit looked great. I don't eat. No, I don't eat. So I'm keeping it light at the mansion. I'm slow sipping. I think I was in a whiskey phase back then. So I'm slow sipping Jack Daniels, and I'm pacing myself, walking around every few feet. And there's a dance floor, and it's packed, and they're playing the best hip-hop shit. And so I just slow walk out there with my boys. And, you know, 
you go somewhere with Leo, the bottom line is, I hate to say it, but the motherfucker is the greatest magnet women have ever felt. I don't know. They just there's, Say what you want about George Clooney. Talk all the shit you want about Brad Pitt. Say what you want about Ryan Gosling. Are you fucking nuts? You crazy? Girls get around Leo, bro. Their fucking vaginas have to go to the bar and talk about it amongst themselves. You know what I mean? Straight up. That's it. He's the number one. There is no one better. L, if you're listening, I didn't mean to blow it up, bro, but it's just a fact. You're the king. Anyway, he brings us in, and we are surrounded. We are surrounded by Miss June, July, August, September, October, November, December. It's just game on. I'm throwing out as much personality as I have in the tank. I'm all tapped out on personality. You know what I mean? I'm saying all my best shit. I'm getting introduced as a comedian and a writer. I can't even remember if I even had a writing credit. I might have had like one or two development deals under my belt. I don't know. My boy's worth $20 million. I probably had like 3000 in the bank, and I'm just enjoying the shit out of the night. Phone is out, ready to collect numbers, and it was just unbelievable night. We danced. We partied. I took a stroll with a girl. I think she was July. July of 01. I don't remember exactly. I can't remember her name either, but we took a stroll out by the monkey cages, I was next to a monkey cage. I was making out with Miss July. Just the whole time thinking, you know what? This is the dream. This is the dream. Like I said, the dream isn't writing with a pencil. The dream is doing the fun shit that you get to do in Hollywood. And I got to live the dream. And I'm making out with a girl by the, by the, uh, the, later on with the same girl. We're like a couple. We're at the grotto. She's meeting my friends like we're getting married. Just the whole thing was on some Willy Wonka fantasy shit. You know what I mean? I go over. I see one of my boys pops out of a sauna, tells me he just had sex with January or February. He doesn't know what's going on. He's a music supervisor. He hasn't been laid in a public building in 20 years. It was just the most perfect debauchery. I rolled over by the grotto. I'm at the grotto, boom, seven, eight, nine girls naked in the grotto, just like you read about, just like you heard about. You know what I mean? And later on, I would hear from Stamos, and you know, after working with Stamos on My Man is a Loser, and I'd hear stories, you know, they would do private, private shit. You know what I mean? They'd go up there and there'd be like, just a year of 12 playmates. You know what I mean? Like, welcome to the year of playmates. Miss January through January would just be up there, you know, watching a movie, cuddling with Hefner. So I didn't get any intimate, deep shit like that. But going up there for my first time was unbelievable. And of course, you know, you hang out all night and you're already, then you're, you're collecting phone numbers. The fellas are so happy. We're all, and then we're thinking, you know what? We got to do an after party. You know what I mean? We got we to gotta start talking to these girls and, and invite them to an after party. So that's what we did. We collected numbers. The text started going out. And the after party was off, was set. And that's what we did. We took the girls from the mansion party. I'm sure Hef wasn't thrilled. But I think he was a fan of, of, of some of my boys. He let it slide. But it was... I mean, everybody who was dating somebody was fighting with their girl for a month after that. You know what I mean? It was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. I literally don't remember any of the girls' names that were up there. I just know that for a kid from Detroit who was dreaming about coming out to Hollywood, 
going to the Playboy Mansion with my boys was one of the most amazing times I've ever had. And it lived up to every expectation that I had. Fact. You know what I mean? There was no, there was no letdown. The mansion was never a letdown. You know what I mean? I heard from people later in life, you know, when you bought the tickets and all that, but that, you know, it, it could have been a bit of a letdown. Not a letdown. I can't tell you a single other dude that was there because the thing with the Playboy Mansion was the ratio of women to men was ridiculous. It's all women and very few dudes. And because L was on the rise as a superstar, as was Toby, as was Kevin, they got the invite. And I'm telling you, it seemed like 500 girls and... 90 dudes, you know what I mean? You had your stragglers. You might have seen a Scott Bayo, you know what I mean, who had a permanent link up there. You might have seen you might have seen a Corey Feldman, you know what I mean, looking fucked up, standing next to Hefner. You might have seen uh, I, I can't remember who anybody anyone. Else. You might have even seen like a Danny Bonaducci, like just an old random fucking dude who just put his time in so much that he just he just was just on a permanent list there, but. The girls were so stunning. Pamela Anderson was there. I do remember that. I do remember seeing her. She was like something. You see that. And I mean, later in life, one of my boys might have dated her. And so I met her. And she's super cool. But seeing her back then kind of in her prime. Goodbye. Next level. What the fuck? So, yeah. So me going to the mansion for my first time. Now, years later, I, you know, we get invited again and again. So I probably been to the mansion like seven, eight times, different midnights, midsummer night dream parties. The next level sickest party of all time at the mansion was the mansion Halloween party. Mansion Halloween party. I, I could almost pass out from talking about it. It is. I mean, girls, are, you never saw more fucking beautiful Bad nurses, dirty cops, you know what I mean? Sexy doctors, little Bo Peeps in droves, just Bo Peeps everywhere. You know what I mean? And that was just next level. Now, I definitely got down and dirty a few times at the mansion. I kind of felt bad. I was out there past the monkey cage. I think it was like a bird cage. I don't know, a lot of colorful animals out there. Hef was just letting them walk. Walker, I feel like I saw a turkey. I don't know what the fuck. There was an ostrich that you couldn't touch or look at. If you caught eyes with the ostrich, he'd fuck you up. It was just unbelievable. So shout out. Rest in peace, Hef. You changed the game, bro. The guy was not racist. He was open. What he believed in sexually was his own was his own thing. And he changed the game, revolutionized sex, revolutionized the magazine world. I don't know why later in life the magazine wasn't doing great and they were trying to sell it. I don't know. You know what I mean? You kept it classy. All your girls were fine and natural until later when you just, there were no more natural girls left. But RIP Hugh Hefner, thank you, man. For giving a dude from Detroit the most fun in one night that he's ever probably had. I got to thank my boys for taking me to that party. If you're listening, you remember that night. I thought I wasn't going to go. Schwimmer, I forgive you, buddy, for fucking 
for telling me no last second and forcing me to try to sneak into the Playboy Mansion as a grown man, lingering, lurching, alone, by a fence, near security, pulling on the bottom of a fence, trying to go under, which I did, but I didn't get in. People had gotten stuck there. Uh, but that's it. That's, that's one story I had to tell. I don't know how long I've been talking, but I'm going to let that one ride as its own little podcast. Mike Young stories that need to be told. All things comedy. All things comedy. Because there was comedy at the mansion, I'll tell you that. When you're at the mansion, you're just, you know, you only, you only got a certain amount of time because Hef kept the shit tight, so you had to work your magic. You had to get your phone numbers, put them in the phone. That was going to be a year's worth of work for you. You know what I mean? I think I was in between relationships at the time. I had broken up with Rebecca, pre-Esther. It was just all, I was single Mike before I was single Mike again. But I was single Mike like a, like a champion. So R.I.P. Hefner, you, uh, you're a legend, bro. Absolute legend. Not many icons in the game, but you were an icon. I've always, I've watched those documentaries in the Playboy Club where you had jazz greats and amazing people show up. And that's one of my dreams is to open up a cool lounge jazz club where amazing artists, like I saw you had Shel Silverstein singing, you had... Cat Stevens showing up. You had Al Green. You had like legends singing in a play in just a little badass lounge of incredible artists. And I think people didn't give you enough credit for being a visionary and somebody that had love for the arts and the performance arts. And I got to meet you once when you did Entourage. Um, you probably, you, I'm sure you didn't remember, but you were very gracious and cool and amazing. And Doug, that was an awesome episode. You're welcome. You're welcome. Inspired by my sneak in. And uh, that's it. That's that's that wraps up this portion. Now the other portion of this podcast, I was gonna, I've been going. I'm trying to put a special together. So the struggle for me is the comedy store has been fucking with me. And I got a little problem with Adam right now, and he's just not giving me spots. He claims I ran the light a couple times and claims that, like, on my 12.30 spots, I just didn't show up. He doesn't know. What he doesn't know is I call every time before, and I'm told whether to show up or not to see if it's worth it, if I'm even getting up. So, Adam, we got to squash it, bro. Squash it. Squash our beef. How much time have I been talking? 22. Wow, 22 minutes. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, maybe I will do exactly what I thought I was going to do on this podcast right now, and I'll read off some of my new material that I'm working on. Here's new material from Mike. You ready? I don't even know if it's new material at this point. It's just shit I need to get out. So I'm trying to work on my one-hour special. I'm probably going to fund it myself or with some people, and it's going to be dope, and I'm very excited. Boom, bang, boom, boom, bang. Going into my computer. Pulling it up. I'm pulling up the new shit. And I'm just working on some bits. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I was just thinking of a good way to like to open my special. I was going to come out and say, yeah, I woke up, went to coffee, hit the gym, met some friends for lunch. And then I realized, shit, I have the exact same schedule as a wealthy divorced woman. I should just get a pedicure. Let's go. I'll get a pedicure and a dog. 
you know, and go find a new place to live. Seriously, I'm on a single schedule right now. Don't tell me about breakfast. Breakfast is when I say it is. Shit, I don't have breakfast at 9 a.m. I have breakfast at 9 p.m. No one's telling me what to do. See, now I got to work on that bit because it's not really crafted. It's just not crafted. It's like broken up. Here's another bit I'm working on. Growing up, my heroes were not actors or athletes. I was looking up to the burnouts in the neighborhood. My goal as a kid was to have braces and a leather jacket and a comb. Is that funny? I don't fucking know. This is so weird. This is what the craft of comedy is. You are literally sitting alone in solitude writing jokes. You know what I mean? Just writing jokes and seeing if they work. And you just, when you don't get a lot of stage time, you got to check your gut, you know? Here's a new one. This one was inspired because this girl was complaining about her, her marriage. And I was listening, but I was hearing different things. Like I heard what she was saying, but she was saying... She was speaking in subtext, but I was I was reading between the lines. You know, here's the bit. When you're single, people think you're the shoulder to cry on. This girl's complaining about her husband. I'm listening, but I'm hearing something else. She's telling me he goes out of town. He's never around. I don't know what he does. He doesn't call every single day when he's gone. He could be anywhere. What I'm hearing is, hold me, and we can see where this goes. You know what I mean? And listen, don't start crying about your husband to me, okay? I'm not the, I know I'm single and I'm cool and I'm like not going to hit on you when you're married. I don't do that. But enough is enough. You know what I mean? Sad woman. Don't complain to me. You're three complaints away from getting fingered on a driveway. All right? I mean, listen, you should have known when my hand was on your thigh while you were complaining that this wasn't going to go the way you planned. I'm not the shoulder to cry on. There's a bit there. Uh, I'm not going to go down this. My next podcast, I'll read all my new shit just as if it's being read. And I'm not going to put any like real hard performance into it. But I'm alone right now. I'm writing. Um, what do I have going on right now? So let me just tell you like this, if you're still listening. Um, right now, there's a story about a guy named White Boy Rick. White Boy Rick was locked up in prison, given a life sentence in 1987. White Boy Rick was a drug dealer, also working for the feds as a 15-year-old in Detroit. I knew about White Boy Rick when I was in middle school because we'd see him around. He'd be fur-coated up. Dude had money as a kid, and he was kind of a famous character in the neighborhood. Who's calling me? Nancy. Hmm. Um, he was like a famous character in the neighborhood and we just knew, you know, we knew all about him. Anyway, he goes to jail and this is going to sound crazy, but this is the life of single Mike. This is why I do what I do. It just, this is going to sound bananas, but Rick goes to jail and he's locked up for a long time. I hear through the grapevine that they're shooting the movie starring Matthew McConaughey uh, as his father. They're shooting that movie in Detroit. They're shooting it in Cleveland. They're shooting it back in the Midwest. At the same time, I'm working on my show that Eminem is on board to executive produce about Detroit in the 70s. I'm working on my show, and I'm, I meet a researcher um, to for some information, I buy. I pay him to give me some articles and research. He's named Scott Bernstein. Dude did you know a bunch of great research. He's written like books on the Detroit underworld, Detroit mob, blah blah blah. Long story short, Scott gets me the information. We start talking. He starts. He sends me a documentary about Rick, and the documentary is coming out, and it's about how corrupt the shit was in Detroit back in the 80s. 
and I'm fascinated by this documentary. And I see the documentary, and I have a few friends in politics in Michigan at high levels. And I don't, I'm not going to say any names just because I'm not. But I watch the documentary, and it's basically the bottom line is the dudes that are fucking hired to murder and kill and the dudes that were locked up in prison for high-level drug dealing, they're all out of prison already. They're out. Meanwhile, Rick is fucking sitting in jail. So I get the documentary and I get it into a few people's hands that are high-level officials. And I send it with an email. And I just say, this is a travesty. How is this being overlooked? But more than that, I say, if this all comes out and this kid stays in prison, then it is going to be a huge black eye on the city of Detroit. And the city of Detroit is on the comeback, and it's a comeback in a major way. It's not a joke. It's not bullshit. Detroit is back for real. So long story short, I get a call from somebody, and they say, okay, we've put it in the ear of some people. Let's see what can happen. Rick has been up for parole. He was denied parole five times throughout his stint. Uh, On this last time, he got in front of the parole board for the first time. Now, I'm not saying I got him out, but I'm just saying I helped. And I helped because it's a fucking travesty to lock somebody up for a nonviolent drug offense and give them life in prison when the motherfuckers that were hired to get him, kill him, are out walking around fucking eating lunch at Coney Island. You know what I mean? So bottom line is he got paroled. And... I started getting phone calls from Rick from jail and we became buddies on the phone. We started, you know, talking about stuff and talking about the movie and, you know, a lot of funny things. It's very funny because, you know, he wasn't he didn't really know. He would say something funny like, yo, can you get Matthew McConaughey tickets to the Cavs game? Because uh, Dan Gilbert had financed one of my movies, and we are friends now, and he owns the Cavaliers. Meanwhile, I said, yo, bro, Matthew McConaughey is a very famous person. And on the outside world, fame wins. You can get basketball tickets when you're famous just with a phone call. So it was really funny because he's like, yo, you think he could go and like sit on the floor? I'm like, don't worry, bro. I'm not the one that's going to be able to he'll, – he'll make one phone call, and he'll fucking he'll be on the team if he wants. That's how fame works. So anyway, long story short, we developed a friendship, you know, and we started talking and he was telling me that there's a book situation come uh, for him that should come out simultaneously with the movie. And so last week, uh, I've been fortunate. I mean, we're not done with it, but I was offered a deal to write his book and if all the stars line up and we can negotiate everything and get things straight, I will write with him. I will write the story of his life, which is compelling as shit because you get approached by the feds at 15 years old to be an informant. Then you become a drug dealer and you're in the middle of all this shit as a kid. Your shit is fascinating. So that's where I'm at. So we're waiting on this deal to go through. And if it happens, I will be in the cave once more, writing my ass off, still out there doing stand up because I love it. And that is, um, that is what I hope to be my next writing project. Um, there's a couple other things going on, but I don't want to like bore you. I don't want to fucking sound like I'm bragging about shit because none of it's solidified yet. But the bottom line is, 
the offer came in and it's very interesting negotiating a deal with somebody who's locked up. So he's out on parole. He has to serve a little time in Florida. So he's being transferred around right now. So we haven't been able to get back on the phone. And uh, So basically I'm negotiating with a guy who's locked up. We just don't know where he is right now because the prison system's so fucked up that they... They, when they transfer you, they don't even tell you where you're going. They put you on a bus, literally wake your ass up in the middle of the fucking night and just say, yo, you're out. You get on a bus. They don't say where you're going and you land somewhere. And I think he's somewhere in Florida, but whatever. Um, the good news is he is going to get out. And if I write his book, I will do him proper by writing him a, a good, his true story. And everybody knows the facts because they're public, you know, they're public record and they're public knowledge. I want to get into the real shit. I want to get into, you know, his dad was doing some shady shit back then, but was still his, you know, hero. I want to get into what it was like to, you know, have a dad that was being looked at by the feds. Yet when he's your hero, how does that pan out? You know, what was it like when you got a life sentence? What went through your mind? You know, how was it your first year in prison trying to adapt to this shit? What was it being a white boy in a black neighborhood? I want to get into all the details that people don't know. And I think the book is going to be a hit. And I think the movie's going to be a hit. And the movie's produced by Scott Franklin, uh, directed by, I think you say his name, like Jan Devange, something like that. He's a European guy, supposedly amazing, amazingly talented director. And that's where I'm at. So stories that need to be told, Mike Young, all things comedy. Talk to you later. Peace.